0: Hey, hey. I just got to capture this moment because it's really epic, and I know you all think I overuse that word, but we have a special treat for you today at our online location. I'm really excited about it. You see, my friend, Eddie Cole, who is the vice president of national ministries for our denomination, the EFCA, is here giving us our message for today. I couldn't be more excited. I'm excited about it because, one, I know Eddie. He used to pastor church up in New York. He's an amazing pastor. More than that, he's an amazing guy. I love him. He's a guy I consider one of my pastors and one of my friends And I'm just excited that we have the awesome privilege for him to speak to us today. So would you like give him your attention, cheer. I know you're all up in your house or on your boat at your camper. Like give a little, give a little like, I don't know, gotta give a little something for my friend, Eddie Cole.
1: Thanks, Josh. Hey, I wish I could be with you in person. Hopefully I will be one day in the near future. Uh, but I am grateful for technology, and I hope each of you are are doing well, and man, I hope this COVID-19 thing passes fast. I miss being with people. I miss worshiping together. I miss sitting under the Word together. I miss the hugs, the high fives, the handshakes, the holy kiss on the cheek. I miss it all, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, but until we can actually get together and do what we're uh, going to be doing again one day, yes, it's going to happen. Uh, I just want you to know I'm glad that we have the technology, and I'm very grateful for it, but I do hope you're blessed. I, I've been invited to to speak to you today, um, and I hope to encourage your heart uh, by, by making a, a shift in mentality that I think could really help you to continue to persevere in this season and actually help you well beyond this season until one day the Lord would uh, choose to take you into his own presence. And so what I'm aiming for is to help you, as I've been trying to remind myself, go from a have-to mentality to a get-to mentality. I don't want to have-to do everything that I do, and especially as a Christian, as it relates to serving the Lord, keeping a good attitude. I want to have a mentality, a genuine a sentiment in my heart that says I get to do this. Let me ask you a question. As you've been living life lately, as a, have you had more of a, well, I'm, I'm very grateful, uh, things, you know, things aren't easy, but I get to do what I'm doing. Or are you just kind of begrudgingly pushing along because you have to? Well, listen, we're all living in that tension. No shame, all right? No shame here. We're all living in that tension, but I hope to help you today. My message is mainly pointed toward Christians, but um, I I want you to understand if you're not a Christian, uh, there's truth in here that's going to resonate with you whether you're a christian or not because what i'm what i'm calling you to is to accept a truth that says if you're in your own mind thinking about yourself or thinking about what you don't like about what you can't control about what frustrates you about what angers you about what's giving you anxiety if you if you're living in your own mind too much rather than just living in a moment with gratitude if you're too too Consumed with what's going on in your life and what's not going on in your life? Compare that and contrast that with other times in your life when you've been happy then you've had the most like deep joy When you've at least been at peace Has it not been at times when you've been less consumed with yourself and just kind of been lost in a moment? Happy with others happy with something you're doing? The the principle here is that happiness and joy, it's not found in ourselves. It's it's found somewhere else. I'm going to tell you right now that I think it's found in knowing and serving Jesus. I'm going to tell you that Jesus has come to set us free from a have-to mentality to a get-to mentality. You can be in bondage by a have-to mentality, a have-to-do-everything attitude. And you can have something so much better with a, you get to do this. And it's a it's an ongoing struggle. I'm not going to paint this out to be easy. That's why I'm speaking about it. Here's what I want to do. I want to use an Old Testament story, an illustration to begin with. And, and I want to get there. I want to get to the Word with you. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. You don't have to turn if you don't want. I'll read it to you. Uh, But what I'm wanting to do, again, is to help you find freedom and victory in this very challenging season. Freedom and victory in your mind by attaining the right posture in service. Now, there's so much more that could be said about finding freedom and joy and peace and all these different kind of things. I've really got one thing that I want to say. It's found in service. It's found in service of Jesus. It's found in serving others. And then you find yourself last in that equation, and that works out good for you and for the world around you. And we see that illustrated in the lives of three men in 2 Samuel, chapter 23. So I'm going to begin reading. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water. And he said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and they carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of the men who went? at the risk of their own lives. And David wouldn't drink it. I'm gonna ask you if you would to pray with me. And I wanna ask God to open our hearts and our minds to see what he has for each of us individually in uh, in this message. Father, you know in my heart I would much rather be in person. I love to look at people in their eyes to know that we're resonating together. But I know in my heart of hearts, we're all struggling with some of the same stuff. We're all struggling with frustrations, anxieties, sometimes just anger. And we need all the help we can get. And I'm hoping and praying that these people and and this one, me, the one that's bringing the message, that we understand that joy and peace is found in service to you. And so, Lord, um, speak to our hearts now and help us to own service with the right mentality, not because it's just drudgery and we have to do it. Lord, I know disciplines are good, but may we move in this message from discipline and drudgery to delight because that will help us do it every single day. And I pray this, Lord, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk with you briefly about three things in this message. Number one, what is actually going on in this passage? Because there's more uh, to the background of the story than you may know. So I need to explain that. Number two, briefly, why did three guys risk their necks, their lives for David the way that they did? And then thirdly, what does all this matter to us? What does this matter to you? What does this matter to me? And that's the point of the message that I want to spend the most time on. But let me start first with addressing this. What is going on in this passage of scripture? Second Samuel is uh, a book that is telling us about, uh, gosh, he's been world famous since he was alive, King David. It tells us about the building of his kingdom, the the establishing of his kingdom, the Uh, kind of the way things developed underneath him and around him. We're getting toward the end of the story of David, and and they're reflecting back, and they're about to move into the final words of David. And this is a rehashing, a retelling of the story of those that had been closest to David. Uh, You can actually go back and get more historical perspective on this actual moment when it was actually happening in 1 Samuel the book just prior to this one. This is 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, you can go back, I'll refer to that in just a few minutes, you can go back there and read a little bit more uh, in depth about the story of how all that developed. But with that being said, now this is a look back. This is a look back of, of, of the establishing and, the, and the, uh, the building of David's kingdom. Now, that being said, uh, as he's looking back and he's telling the stories, this one sticks out to David. This sticks out to him. There was a time, it was during a harvest time, uh, a a time of the year, that tells us that this is, David remembers this, this is one of those memories that's just indelibly marked on his heart and his mind. It's so meaningful to him. We all have those. Three of his chief warriors, they came down to the cave where he was established at that time, the cave at Adullam. And there there were a band of Philistines that were over there near Bethlehem, which had been his hometown. Um, there's backstory to it, uh, to David ending up down here. Uh, it's a really dark story. Uh, let me just briefly give it to you. I'm going to make this a super quick sweep, but David's backstory is like this. I mean, we've all heard about David and Goliath. Well, David, is a, uh, as a young teenage boy, kills the giant. He slings the stone takes the giant down, cuts his head off, keeps the sword. He's just, you know, they sing songs about him. David is just, he becomes famous quick and he becomes famous very young. Um, He ends up also being just an incredible poet, musician. So he's not only a great warrior but he's, he's he's bringing peace to the king, King Saul who was the first king for Israel. And he was the one that was there before David. And so So David would play music for him. He would bring peace for him. You know how music does. And he's there. David's famous as a warrior, but he's still doing this. And while he's there, he's he's become friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And the people just love David. But three different occasions while David is playing music for King Saul, King Saul picks up a spear and throws it at David to kill him. (laughs) David ends up having to talk to his friend, Jonathan, to say, Hey, Jonathan, I I think there's a problem here, (laughs) which is is a real understatement. But he says, Jonathan, there's a problem. Jonathan says, Okay, let me go search this out, which makes you question, What kind of dysfunction was really in that home? I mean, you know, did that happen before with other kids that Saul just picked up spears and threw it at them? I, I mean... Jonathan's like, let me go find out what's going on here. As if that was an accidental thing that saw through the spear. But nevertheless, uh, Jonathan wanted to make sure that David wasn't being too sensitive at, you know, at the message that's coming through the spear. And Jonathan ultimately confirms to David, you need to get out of here. My, my dad, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to end well. My dad is against you, not for you. David leaves and he has to go down has to leave their territory, leave everyone that he knows and loves behind. He has to go down and he goes down and he establishes himself down really in enemy territory. But while he's down there, people start coming and joining him, which I'll get to in just a minute. But let me just say this for right now. The reason that David is down in this particular cave is he's down there hiding out. He's down there at this point in time for his own safety. He can't go back to his hometown of Bethlehem. He had to flee from there for his life. But while he was away, people started coming to him. And man, they they loved him. But while they, they, they love them, you know, in the, again, going back to the story in, in 2 Samuel, what ends up happening is that these people who love him, they come up there and they say, Hey, David, they hear David, they're close in proximity to him. They hear him say, Oh, I want water from the well just outside Bethlehem. It's home water. You know, it's, it's, he's thinking not just I'm sure about the water. He's thinking about home. He wants normal. He wants that cool water. I mean, this was well documented. There was a stream, underground stream, that flowed in to that well just outside of Bethlehem. That was his water. It wasn't just the the water, but it was the place. It was home. It was peace. It was life for David. It wasn't perfect, but it was something that resembled normalcy. And David's like, I just want to be there. I want that water. Well, they couldn't take David there, these guys. But they could go there, and they had to risk their own lives to do it. But they could go there and get some of that water and bring it back to David. And that's what's going on in this story. They overheard David having this longing for water, this longing for home. And they go through there. They break through the Philistine army. I don't know if they, like, snuck through there. They went through there. I mean, these were some bad dudes, all right? These were some tough guys. You can read their stories. Uh, these were some really tough divinely empowered warriors. And uh, I don't know if they fought their way through or if they snuck their way through, whatever. They went through there and they, they got the water and they brought it back. And when David got it, David said, there's no way I'm drinking this. He was just, he was astonished that they would risk their own lives to do it. And and in the Old Testament Mosaic system, they set up different kinds of offerings. They had grain offerings, they had burnt offerings, they had uh, weed offerings, Then they also had drink offerings. Now, what David is doing in this passage is virtually like a drink offering as unto the Lord, meaning everything that I have, everything, nothing left, there will be nothing left, I'm pouring out to you. These guys risked their lives, they risked their blood, which is their life. They, it could have poured out on the ground. They risked that so that David could have water. David says, as I look at this water, I see your blood. There's no way I'm drinking that. I'm going to give this back to the Lord. And what he's doing is saying, I thank God for you. And what we do, we do together. There's something really powerful happening there. And, and he takes it to the Lord with these guys and they worship him. David wouldn't drink it. That kind of loyalty, that kind of love, David deflects straight to God which I think is also one of the reasons they loved David the way they did. But that leads us to the second point. Why did these guys do this? Why would they put their necks on the line for David like they did? Well, in order to explain that to you, and I'll get to this one very quick, uh, you'd have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. I told you that David had had to flee. Well, when David left, when he had to run the way that he did, and he was, remember, he was famous, he was well-known. Saul could have been thinking, well, i got to kill David's family because David may raise up his own army and come to try to fight me. He may try to do an, uh, an insurrection, a coup or something. He could, he could cause all kinds of problems. So I'm, Saul would be thinking, i got to take out his family i got to eliminate the threat of loyalty to David over loyalty to me. So David's family knows this immediately. So it says that David in 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 and 2, David is down at the cave of Adullam, which we're reading about here, even in the other passage. It says David's down at that cave, and it says, When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down and joined him there and they did that for their own safety. And it says then, it goes on to say, and all those there's no and there, but it says all those who were in distress which means life was a mess, it doesn't even define all that was going on, but it means their life was so bad they wanted to pick up and move and go elsewhere. They could be running from the police, Uh, they could be running from their family, they could be, who knows, there's, but there's distress. It's bad enough that they're willing to leave everything they know, everything they own, they're leaving it to go down and be with David. Everyone in distress, everyone in debt, in debt. Specifically, you need to know historically, if you're in debt back then, you can't pay your bills. There's no declaring for bankruptcy. You have to. You basically become property for someone else you or someone in your family has to go work for the people you're indebted to to pay off your debt you that's your that's the sentence there's no bankruptcy there's no shielding that's how you pay it off it's with your life life is basically offered in order to pay off debt now most of the time people could work it off and find themselves free but debt people instead of You know, instead of saying, man, I can work my way out of this debt, they're saying, I need to get out of here. I'll never pay this off. People in distress, people in debt, or people who are just discontented. Discontented. What does that mean? It just means they're unhappy. (laughs) But they're so unhappy with what they've got in Israel. uh, It says, they all gathered around him. They all went down to that cave to be with David, and he became their commander. David became their commander, and there were about 400 men who were with David. He became their commander. So it doesn't say that an army went down there to be with David, but it says that all these people who were discontented, in debt, or just you know distressed, they went down to see David. David says, I'm glad to have you. It's good for you to come. Now I'm going to make you a part of my army. Because... <laughs> where there's going to be no rest here. That's essentially what he's saying to them. But here's the beauty of it, and here's why they, why they became so loyal and loving to David. David accepted them. You see, whatever there was in their past, David clearly wasn't holding that, holding that over them any longer. When they came to David, David saw them as people. Simple, plain, people. He saw them not by what they were not or by what they had done wrong. He saw them as people who were with him. The people that had potential, people that had value, people that had a possible future. He saw what they could do together going forward. So, in essence, what they did was when they met up with David, David brought them around. They ate together. They sang together because David was a musician. They trained together. They did life together. They fought together. They did all this kind of stuff together. David gave them a new identity. He made them people of value. He forgave them for whatever was wrong in their past. He gave them a new future. They were not going to be bound by what they were not or by what they owed. He gave them freedom and he gave them promise. As long as they were with him, they would be able to have his protection and his army fighting with them. See, David saw them and he gave them something they didn't have elsewhere. And that's why they loved David. David offered for them what they could only get by grace. So they loved him. So, David didn't ha- you know, if you notice, David didn't command them to go get him water. There was no command there. David just says, oh, I wish somebody would go get this for me. Uh, not only did David not command it, there was no contest. There was no, there was no, like, trying to set themselves apart from others. There was no sense of offering them a reward. You'll get this if you go get me water. There was none of that. They just heard his desire. And their love for him was so deep, essentially they said, your wish, your desire, is what we want more than anything. It's a get-to mentality rather than a have-to mentality. David didn't have to send them. They wanted to. They willingly risked their lives. They willingly laid it all out there, because David had given them what no one else could. Now the application here is probably pretty plain, probably pretty obvious. And and at the same time I want to just tell you plainly that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has offered for us that kind of a new life, that kind of freedom. You see the apostle Paul writing to uh Titus, he He's writing in what we call one of the pastoral epistles. And he's writing, and as he's writing to some of these, uh, you know, these issues about helping uh, the church move forward, he says, as they're addressing some issues and, and they're moving forward in ministry, he says, at one time, we too, he includes himself in that, the Apostle Paul, we too were foolish, disobedient. Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and in envy. We were, we were being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, Paul says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What he is saying to them in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, is he's saying to them, remember who we were. We were were indebted. We were discontented. We were distressed. We were enslaved. But the life that we now have as believers, the freedom, the forgiveness, the hope for a future, the everything that we have, we have by the grace and mercy of God. When he says that we have been justified, he's saying your old is washed away, your past is forgotten. You are a new creation and now you're moving forward. Don't forget who you were as you begin to move forward and continue in these things. Don't, don't ever forget that the people that are that are enslaved that need help that was you that was me but we've been helped and so now remember these things and move yourself forward move yourself forward living in grace and sharing this message with other people you are now not known as a sinner to god you're an heir of eternal life. You have hope, not despair. You have a future, not just a past. You have forgiveness. You have been cleansed. You have a a value and an identity that you never could have dreamed of before. You you get to serve Jesus. You get to serve God and His kingdom and His purposes. You don't have to. You don't have to. You have to, but you don't have to. (laughs) You get to and that perspective really does change everything. That's how you find freedom as you're going through tough times. Waking up every day and saying, today I I really have to serve God because He calls me to, but really and truly when you think about it, when you think about what I was before and what I have now, I get to, I get to. Remember that. Let Let me just end with just three things. Um, that'll be helpful. Well, this is why this matters to you and to me, the posture of saying, man, I, I don't, I don't want to live with just discipline. I, wanna, I don't want to live with the drudgery of what I've got to do because it's commanded. I want to remember what God has been so good to deliver me out of and into. I want to live with a get-to mentality, not a have-to mentality. Because when you live with that mentality, first and foremost, it, what it does is you wake up in the morning and you, and you remember, more than anything, I'm desirous of God's presence. I'm desirous of God's presence because God has given me what I could never have given myself. He took away my debt, my discontented attitude and my distress, all those things, and we still struggle with them, but they're not what they used to be. What I was and what I am and what I can be are are not the same. God's been good to me. Has God been good to you? Yeah, he's been good to you. He's been good to you. If you're alive and breathing today, he's been good to you. You have hope and you have a future. He's been good to you. And um, just don't forget it. Just don't forget it. I've got a friend named Brian from Brooklyn. And Brian uh, was saved out of a life in organized crime. He was known, the Staten Island Advance called him Mafia Muscle. One of the times he went and did a prison stint. His last prison stint, he actually met the Lord. (laughs) And he said, it's funny, Pastor. He said, uh, God had to put me in prison one last time so that I could find freedom. He said, it was when I was in jail that I finally found the freedom that I had looked for my whole life. And he said, really, everything I looked for was because I was lonely. He said, from the time I was a little kid, my dad left when I was a toddler, my best friend um, moved out. I remember standing there feeling all alone, looking from my stoop on, on uh, I forget, a street there in Brooklyn. And he said, I'm looking as my friend's moving out. He said, I realize I'm all alone. Never been so lonely. He said, the kids that we used to fight together with, he said, now I'm all alone. They beat me up. He said, and then eventually he said, once I realized I had no shot, I, I became friends with them. <laughs> so he became friends with me, ends up going in and out of juvenile detention centers, all this kind of stuff, till he ends up an adult, in and out of jail, he ends up connected with organized crime. And as I said, while he's in jail, uh, what happens is that his little crew all ends up arrested, killed, or they disappeared. And he heard the gospel while he was there and uh, changed his life. And he said, and Eddie, he said, Pastor, he never called me Eddie. He said, Pastor, all the trouble that I got into, all the things I was doing with women, all the times that I did too many drugs and drank too much, all the stuff I did with the, you know, with the, crew that I was running with it's because I was lonely I was always lonely I needed something I needed something and he said to me he said pastor he said Jesus has made it to where I'm never alone it's this is so powerful now this guy who's mafia muscle when he talks to you he just he just we, he weeps my wife says that he's like an M&M he's hard he's hard on the outside and soft on the inside and that's the way I feel a lot of times I, I'm a I'm a crier and every time I think about Brian, I think, you know, when he looks at you, first time I was preaching and I, he was in the crowd, I looked at him and there's only couple, couple of times that I've had this happen. I was thinking, I think this guy may try to kill me afterwards. <laughs> Neither time they did, thank God. But he's a crier. And the reason he's a crier is because God softened his heart. Jesus stepped into his life. And he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, Jesus has never left me. And he told me he would never forsake me. So, every day, desire the presence of the Lord. Having a get to mentality helps you not want to go another day on your own without God, without the presence and the awareness of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life. The second thing I would tell you about this get to mentality is that it gives you an opportunity to experience the power of God. It gives you the opportunity to experience the power of God. You, when, you, when you go into your day with a get-to mentality, not a have-to mentality, you look for opportunities to be kind. You look for opportunities to serve, to help others, to serve at the church, to serve your wife, your husband, to, to display something good. I get to. I don't have to. And then when you do that, it's like, it's like Moses walking into the Red Sea until he starts to walk into the Red Sea. The water doesn't part until, the, until in the New Testament. They're laying hands on people and praying for them. The, the people aren't just getting up and their, their diseases aren't being healed. It's when they're doing it that the miracles take place. When you have a get-to mentality that says, I want to serve the Lord. I don't have to. I I get to. I get to do this. And and when you do this, it it moves you. And when you are moved, then you get to see the power of the Lord. And that's what the world needs to see through you and through me. They need to see generosity. They need to see charity. They need to see love and action. They need to hear less screaming like from guys like me. They don't they need to maybe hear less sermons they need to see more sermons they need to see Christians acting like Jesus you get to see the power of God experience the power of God when you have a get to mentality you get to you get to experience the presence you 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 get to experience the presence of God you get to see the power of God and then lastly let me say this and i need to be quick uh It keeps you moving forward in your service, keeps you moving forward in your service in spite of your past failures, in spite of your past successes, and even and especially in opposition to your present comforts. I think one of the reasons some of us are so messed up recently is because we were kind of comfortable and now we've been made uncomfortable. And God has wanted to shake us out of this comfort so that we could ultimately live for Him and see His power. And so that we could get out of this this place of of being stuck in comfort and, and selfishness, even as Christians, so that we could get out and serve Him and serve others. You know, I don't ever want to stop serving the Lord. I don't ever want to stop I don't ever want to get to the point to where I, I'm not over just my past sins, my past failures, or even my past successes. I just don't want to get comfortable. I want to, until I'm with the Lord, I want to serve the Lord. I close with this very quick illustration. I was at a I was at, uh, at Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I walked into this little meeting. We were about to go out in front of thousands of people, and uh, Francis Chan was with us. There were about 25 of us in a room. I was standing in the back of the room, and this uh, little... Uh, Not very tall man uh, walks in. He's very nice. He just stands back there, talks to me, doesn't tell me who he is. And we stand back there, talk for a minute. I listen to Francis Chan. We walk out to the service. When I walk out to the service, here's what happens. Francis Chan, there's powerful worship. Francis Chan speaks. It's like 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night. I'm tired. A lot of people are tired. I'm thinking, man, they still have another speaker coming up. It's a guy named Luis Palau. And this, he's, he's around 80 years of age now. Luis Palau happens to be the guy that I was speaking with in that little room. I'd never met him, didn't know him. He's very famous. He's like the Billy Graham of, for the Spanish-speaking world. And I'm thinking when he walks up there, I'm thinking, oh, I just talked to this guy. Well, lo and behold, uh, he gets up there to preach. And I'm thinking he's after Francis Chan talking for a long time, after powerful worship. It's late. I'm thinking everybody's going to want to go home. This is going downhill from here. Here's what I want to tell you. It didn't at all. This guy gets up there and he reminded me of Caleb who back in Joshua 14 goes up to Joshua and says, Hey, I know I'm 85 years old, but you were there when God promised us this land and I'm here to claim my promise. I'm strong now. Give me the mountain give me the mountain, let me go fight my fight, and take what God promised me. I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong now as I was then. I am not finished serving the Lord." That's what Joshua said, and when I watched this man, Luis Palau, at his age, who could be retired, he's made plenty of money, plenty of fame, written all kinds of books, he could be riding off into the sunset, and that night, I watched God just drop like a stick of holy dynamite down in that church. And that place just came alive. And I just watched the power of God rest on this man. And it just, I mean, everybody in there came alive. And I'm going to tell you, had Luis Palau just rode off into the sunset, we'd have never seen that. Now, I, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. I don't know about your past failures. I don't know your age. I don't know about your your current circumstances but I want you to know this if you have a pulse and you're breathing you have a future and God has a plan for you and if you will let your mentality be Lord I get to serve you I get to serve you you've given me your word you've given me your spirit you've given me people to serve with and God here I am today to serve you if you start living with a get to mentality you'll get to see the presence and the power of God again in your life He'll show you ways to serve Him. And when you serve Him, you'll see His power. And you'll experience peace. You'll experience fulfillment. You won't have to do anything. You'll start to look at things differently and say, how can I bring light into this darkness? How can I serve my Lord to bring the kingdom into this uncertain situation? How can I bring the certainty of heaven into the mess that is represented here. So, I don't know what our future looks like, but I know God holds it in his hands. And I know if you and I will determine, God, we want to serve you. We want to get to mentality, not a have to mentality. If we start our days like that, it'll make a difference in our lives. Pray with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person who's watching this that they would, if they're a Christian, God receive this message into their hearts. May they serve you with joy, with power, with strength, as they adopt a get-to mentality not a have-to mentality. If there's anyone in here today uh, in their house or in the church or uh, in their car, wherever they are that's watching this online, may they know Lord, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. In the same way that David offered those guys that went down to that cave, new life, new hope, new future. Jesus offers all those who come to him new life, new hope, new future. They're forgiven if they'll only place their faith in Jesus. Jesus came to live the life we could not live. He suffered a death that we should have suffered. And he rose, proving that he was the Son of God. And he's able today to offer forgiveness. And I pray today that anyone listening to this would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus that they would right now say this with me. If you've never received Jesus, say this prayer with me Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've failed in so many ways I can't even count it but I believe in Jesus and today I want to ask for forgiveness and invite Jesus into my heart through his spirit. Holy Spirit help me to live from this point forward with joy for my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you.